Live to see it, friends, and welcome to The World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, one that will be here sooner than you think, and one that you have an important role to play in bringing about. At The World Transformed, we want to introduce you to what may be the greatest transformation of them all, the one that begins with considering and acting on the almost limitless possibilities that lie before us and that ends somewhere beyond the reach of the human imagination. So, When does this amazing future begin? Well, today is the day. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and with me in the virtual studio is my co-author, co-futurist, and co-host, Stephen Gordon. Hello, Stephen. Hey, Phil. How are you? Well, I am super fantastic. Happy Friday. How are you, my friend? Man, I am doing great. Doing great. So, yeah, it is at the end of a a week, and uh, so kind of wrapping up another week of greatness here. So, Reeling another one in. And, you know, I'm not even going to try to make a secret of it. Tonight's topics were the leftovers, okay, because we had, we, we had a bunch of topics to talk about this week, and the first two sets went into pretty good kind of coherent shows, one about the brain, one about engineering, and, and you know, amazing engineering means business. And then we had a few others. One, two of them were kind of spacey. One of them is a cure for cancer thing. They got nothing to do with each other much, really, at all, but... That's what was left, so that's what we're going to talk about. But you know what? They're all futuristically awesome anyway. And guess what else? Now how much would you pay? we got other geek tonight, too. So <laughs> That's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, you know, you know I've noticed, Phil, I, I, don't, I, you know, I can't say it from an audience point of view, but from uh, you know, doing these shows for all these years, these grab bag, bag shows, some of my favorites to do. I don't know they, why. Just... Uh, they come together somehow, and they're, it's a lot of fun to do. So. It's the variety. You know. It's the jumping yeah, around. It's the, the sheer randomness of it that, that makes it fun. That's, uh, well, hey, let's just demonstrate. Maybe Folks so. listening at home yeah. are thinking, really? How much fun is this randomness? Well, let's show you. Okay, let's, let's just demonstrate. We start with a great story. It's just wonderful good news, and it's our weekly cure for cancer. I think we're just a, a feature on the show, except for the fact that I think people would think we're being flippant about the whole thing, but you could ju- just about we could do a feature on the show called Weekly Cure for Cancer because there's so much good stuff happening around yeah, cancer. And, and so we, we should explain, you know, that we're, and why we're not being flippant. We're, that's, we are at, at such an exciting point in history that we are curing cancer on a weekly basis. Just yeah, about, this is you know. literally, uh, you know, a, a, a true statement. It, it's a it's an accurate yeah. description of, of news as as we're uncovering it. We're not we're not being sarcastic at all. Every week right. there's a there's another big breakthrough in cancer. Uh, if not every week, then every couple of weeks, several times a month anyway. Yeah. Somebody could just do a podcast on all the awesome cancer research going on, and they'd never even begin to cover it all. So we. Right just hit the really high points. But this is a high point right here. Johns Hopkins researchers said they've unlocked key to cancer metastasis and how to slow it. So this is huge. I mean, uh, one of the things that I found really interesting reading this, and I knew this from anecdotes, I knew this from personal experience from cancer patients that I've known, but I didn't realize that this was really the general trend. People don't typically die of the cancer they have. They typically die from the cancer it turns into. Uh, that, 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 that was uh, uh, a, a real breakthrough for me. I didn't, I didn't realize that was, that was the case, but it's when, it's when the cancer, you know, they talk about breast cancer. They, they always cut the breast cancer out, and they're almost always successful in getting the tumor, but then it metastasizes, and then 
sadly, the patient has cancer all over their body or concentrated in several different areas of their body, and that's the part you can't get past. You know, a very similar thing happened with my dad with the uh, melanomas and various cancers that, that he dealt with over the years. And so in a sense, if you can stop cancer from metastasizing, you can make the initial removal of the t- tumor that much more effective. You can, right. you can, you can do away with that radiation therapy, chemotherapy mess that, uh, that, that people have to go through. I'm sorry, what were you going to say? Could be, it could be that the human body actually could uh, have a chance of fighting the cancer off itself if you're able to keep it from, uh, you know, going into metaphysis. I have a trouble with that word. Uh, but if you, if you, uh, you know, because I, I think this is a true statement. I hope I'm, I'm not saying this wrong, but uh, that uh, healthy people, you know, several times in their life, uh, you know, at, uh, fight off cancer and you don't even know it. Right. Um, right. I, I've I've heard that said. I don't. I hope that's. I hope I'm I'm saying that accurately. Well, I, I've heard uh, that most men, when you reach a certain age, we all get prostate cancer. I mean, it just generally everybody gets it, right? And and yeah. it, it becomes a problem for some, and for most, and and for quite a few, it it never actually materializes as a problem. But I think that's right. I think um, c- cancer it tries to get going any number of times, and with some people, sometimes it takes. And sometimes it does not. That, that, that's what you're saying, right? right? And, and exactly. And, and of course, the times that it, you know, nothing comes of it, you, we never know about, right? Right. And, uh, and you know, you're just living your life, and uh, you, you've just fought off cancer, and you don't know it. And uh, so uh, it could very well be that if uh, you are able to keep cancer from going, you know, really rogue like that, that your body could fight it off on its own. So that's this. This is uh, like you say, an ex- extremely exciting uh, breakthrough. So. Well, what's cool about what they did here is they got into the signaling that goes on inside inside of cancer. When when a tumor reaches a certain density, they describe it. It it reaches this kind of point where it says, "Oh, it's too crowded here. I got to spread out. Time to spread my wings and become a you know more." Uh, I don't know, well-traveled tumor, I suppose. And that's when yeah. metastasis begins. They found that the, there are two proteins, interleukin-6 and 8, that are associated with sending this signal out. And if you work on the receptors to those two proteins, you can shut down that signal. So it's really just a simple matter of going in and interfering with the internal signaling that the tumor makes to tell itself to, to spread out. You, you cut that signal off, and the tumor doesn't spread out, and metastasis does not occur. And maybe this is a signal that the healthy, the, the healthy flesh around the tumor uh, doesn't use anyway, so it's not like you're interfering in some vital process of the body either, right? So Right. It, it seems to be very specific to this, yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, very, very neat. So, now, this, they're, they're doing this in mice, and it's working pretty well. It's, it's, it hasn't completely shut down metastasis yet, but they're working on refining the cocktail. They're working on narrowing in on that signal a little bit better. And as they get better and better at it, the expectation is that they're, that they're going to reach a point where they can com- completely shut it down. If you can shut it down in mice, we have every hope that we can shut it down in human beings. And, you know, just add this one to the quiver, right? One more, 
one more arrow in the quiver against against cancer. And this is a good one, too, because in case the other things that we talk about preventing cancer or getting rid of cancer, in case they don't work, making sure that yeah. the tumor doesn't metastasize is a huge step towards ensuring the health of the cancer patient, ensuring their survival and, and their their ongoing health. What could could end up being one of the biggest cancer breakthroughs of of them all, and that's us saying it, right? After after all the cancer stuff we've looked at, this, <laughs> that's right. The, well, this could still be very like big. Mach- it's, it's, think of it a, as a machine gun full of uh, you know cancer cures, and we're shooting all these bullets at cancer, right? Right. And uh, <laughs> maybe maybe one of these bullets is going to be the one to uh, to you know absolutely take care of the problem. But you know, cancer is not one disease; it's many many diseases. And, um, and so we got to, we got to, so we will need more than one cure ultimately, probably. So, um, it's, but this is, keep them coming. Absolutely. Keep them coming. That's right. Yeah. Let's keep them going. Okay. Well, next up is we've got the story that gave our show its name tonight. This is just such an evocative image that this headline contains new evidence that all stars are born in pairs. Isn't there something poetic about that? When, when you read that, it's like, like oh, it. yeah. every star is a twin. This, this is interesting. We don't, you know, this has not been learned through observation. They haven't seen every single star forming is, is, is born in pairs. Rather, it's a set of statistical models that they've run on looking at populations of stars uh, as they're built out in the Perseus molecular cloud. And the only model they've been able to build that makes any sense of it is one that says, you know what, every time a star forms, it, it's forming with a twin. This is the only way you can get to the population of stars that we currently see there. This is, this is the only way it would, it would make sense, uh, apparently, is if, if stars occur in twins. Now, we know there are a lot of binary stars out there. They're, you know, they're, our, our nearest neighbor in space is a kind of a three-star system, Alpha, Alpha Centauri. And there are a lot of twin stars, a lot of double star systems, but apparently just because two stars start out together, they don't necessarily stay all that close to each other. And there is speculation that our sun has a twin out there in the, uh, out there in the galaxy. Uh, Have you heard this nemesis theory, Stephen? Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Okay. So, So, yeah, uh, somewhere they, they say maybe about 27 light years away it is right now is nemesis tangled up in an orbit with our sun such that they come together not all that frequently, but when they do get together, it wreaks havoc. And one theory about the extinction of the dinosaurs is that it was our sun getting too close to its twin, Nemesis, that it was, it was during a period when that occurred. Now, so far, they haven't been able to find this star. So you would think if it was out there, we'd be able to see it. We'd be able to track its movement and 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 we would it could be a brown dwarf or something brown yeah you know, brown dwarf dwarves are they shine but so so faintly that uh, it would be hard to spot it, yes it'd be hard to spot so maybe maybe uh maybe that's something like what we're talking about so it's an interesting theory Definitely. it is so. and it, it it just goes to show you we're learning a lot about the galaxy as we go we, a few years ago we didn't know that there were so many planets now we know there's planets everywhere it seems like every star has a planet couldn't have said that as a rule before we started making observations. And now here's potentially another rule. Maybe stars always occur in twins. Or maybe they occur in twins or triplets. Who knows? Maybe, maybe there are even rarer, larger groups. But it's interesting to think that, that single stars rarely, if ever, form. That, 
that seems kind of counterintuitive. I wouldn't have guessed that, would you? Yeah, I, and, and it seems um, that uh, um, we, what we're learning about planet formation is that, uh, you know, you, you just about have to have planets when stars form because that, the material that makes the star forms, the, you know, this, you know, most of the material or a great, or a large, a large portion of the material goes together to form the star that's in the center, but uh, not all of that material is ever going to uh, get to the center, and the, the remaining material coalesces into into planets. But uh, it's it's interesting that uh, you know you it, that it would um, you would see so many binaries, or that uh, the binary uh, system is is the only thing that makes sense. I'd I'd like to see that. I'd like to see an actual model, you know, with, rot- with the stars rotating and everything to kind of explain that to me, why that has to be. Because I can, un- while I understand why you have to have planets, this one's a little fuzzier in my head. So I, maybe, uh, maybe we can, maybe we can see, uh, see a simulation of how, how that model uh, tends to work. I, I, I want to get out there and see. Yeah. And, and you know, I'm not sure that even they have that. I'm not sure even they have the, the how of it. All they have is the math that shows that that's the only one that accounts for it, right? It, it's, it's okay. Okay. you know, we, we, we know that if you, if you assume that stars always form in pairs, if you start with that assumption, plug that in, and then you look at the, the stars as formed by the Perseus molecular cloud, it maps, right? It, so it's kind of like these climate models, right? They talk about if you run them in reverse, do you, you know, do you get the, do you, do you get the same results? Are they predictive of what comes next? This is the one, this is the one model that if you ran it back then, it would produce the stars that we currently have. And the model happens to be one where they're all produced in, in pairs. But yeah, I, I, I think maybe the explanation as to, as to how the matter condenses and why it splits into two different pieces is yet to come. I, I think that, yeah. that, that that part follows this initial math that has got them looking in that direction now. So interesting you stuff. Know, we, we know that nebula are, you know, are referred to as stellar nurseries where millions of stars are formed, right? Yep. So I, I, and I guess it's, it makes sense that, uh, they, that pair, they'd pair off and, 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 uh, and get into orbits around each other. That, um, you know, if, if many stars are forming in close proximity to one another, but, uh, anyway, it's interesting. I, I'm going to have to read a little deeper into that. Yeah. Cool stuff. All yeah. right. Well, speaking of binaries, Okay. How about this? Binaries in space, no less, right? How about the worm that grew two heads in space? That's this is uh, this, this is uh, this is a binary for sure. Okay, this was over on Live Science, and I uh, posted this kind of facetiously on Facebook with the heading, "Just a two-headed space worm, probably nothing to worry about," right? But <laughs> this is this is interesting on the up in the uh, International Space Station doing some experiments with flatworms, because they're one of the great things to do experiments with, let's face it. And, uh, you know, these flatworms, it's their big chance to go into space and have some adventures. So it's, it's, it's great for everybody. Well, what are the things you do with flatworms? One of the things is you cut them up because they regenerate. Uh, every piece of a flatworm you cut off is supposed to grow into a new flatworm. But here's something interesting happened. They cut a piece off a flatworm, and it grew into a new one, but it grew a head on both ends. It, uh, it, it became a two-headed flatworm, which is an unusual thing to have happen. I think it rarely, if ever, happens on Earth. 
And we're wondering, is this something that the radiation in space may have accounted for? Is it something that the lack of gravity may have accounted for? You know, you, you start looking at that and you say, well, what's different up here in space? And what does this tell us about the kind of mutagenic nature of a, of a low Earth orbit environment? Is this, if, if flatworms start growing double heads, do we have to worry about someday if there's a space colony up there, what kind of children people are going to be producing, right? It, does, it, right. does it speak to that, or is it, just a, is it just a wacky coincidence? Well, it's one data point, so it's not really enough to draw any conclusions from, but it's, it's enough to kind of get the conversation going, I suppose. And, and certainly enough to get them to continue uh, working with flatworms. It's, in, it's an interesting uh, result, isn't it? So you, no doubt the, the experiments will continue with, uh, with flatworms. So interesting. For sure, yeah. Maybe we'll get a three-headed flatworm. I don't know. That that uh, seems unlikely because they only have one end. I mean, that would that would be a. I mean, they only have two ends. It would be a truly mutated flatworm at that point. And I think when they start doing that, when they start growing a third head, shut it down. Okay, that's my advice. <laughs> that's where it really does start to feel like a movie at the drive-in. I think um, when the. Uh, you know, in fact, it may be too late by the time it uh, by the time it grows that by the time it grows that third head. I kid, but uh, interesting stuff, and it's it, it's interesting to see that. Yep, there are differences out in space that you can get you you can get results for experiments, uh, not not just in the physical sciences, but in biology that you weren't expecting and weren't looking for, and it it's just more evidence that if for no other reason the International Space Station is a wonderful resource to have because it's such an awesome lab. It's a lab right. where we can do experiments that we otherwise would not be able to do, and we can learn things that otherwise we'd have no, no way of finding them out. So I, you know, I suspect, uh, Phil, that we, we will find, as we do things uh, deeper into space, uh, you know, human beings, uh, not just robots, um, but as, as uh, we move into deeper space, we're going to have to find ways to, to better protect ourselves. Yeah. Um, well, you know, uh, it's uh, it, it could be uh, something simple like some sort of uh, barrier. I mean, even surrounding the crew cabin with uh, water ice, if you do it thick enough, that would cut down on, on a lot of radiation. Maybe not the strongest of cosmic rays, but some of it. Um, maybe even try to figure out how to uh, put a magnetic uh, field around the ship, uh, similar to what we have protecting us here on Earth. You know, things like that. Um, and so, um, you know, it, it, I, these uh, sort of uh, experiments that show that there may be a danger, um, you know, would tend to clue us in that before we get too, you know, get too uh, excited about going to places like Mars, uh, we, you know, we need to we need to figure out how to uh, uh, how to protect our people. And, yeah, uh, we need we need to really not, be aware. I, I'm not suggesting you know, I'm not suggesting it's an unsolvable problem, but we can, it's a problem that does need to be. Yeah, and, and you can't and you can't make it 100% safe. I mean, we've talked about that. Yeah. Space travel is going yeah. to be inherently risky. But it, but it could be that prolonged time in space is is going to subject the organism, whatever kind, flatworm, human, anything in between, to stresses that we hadn't thought about before at the molecular level, and those right. the genetic level, and those are things we really have to be thinking about how we're gonna how we're gonna mitigate that, prevent that to the extent that we can, and whether being in space for a long time becomes a viable proposition with that in mind. So, you know, it's a, it, it's a fun little headline, a two-headed flatworm, but really it does speak to some pretty, pretty big issues 
in space and right. issues that we'll continue to hear a lot about in the years to come. All right, Stephen, I think we've uh, we've done our work for the week. Are you ready? Are you it's ready to geek? It's time for some other geek. Oh, it's yeah. time to geek other out geek. a little bit. Okay, well, <laughs> I've got one story, and I'm super excited about this because we talked about uh, on Silicon Valley, it was last season, where the protagonist of the show, a kid named Richard Hendricks, who's this programming genius, finally gets a girlfriend, and he just can't make the relationship work when he finds out that she uses spaces instead of tabs in her code. It's just he can't handle it, and, and the relationship falls apart. It's a real ugly breakup scene uh, based on that. Well, here is some vindication for that character, vindication for her and for everybody who is on the spaces side of the spaces versus tabs in code argument. Developers who use spaces make more money than those who use tabs. And this was at uh, the Stack Overflow blog. And, you know, they just – pretty simple survey of programmers. How much do you make? And <laughs> do you use spaces or tabs, right? And darned if the, uh, if the folks who use tabs don't, uh, don't, don't actually make considerably more money. Now, there are all kinds of things that could account for this, one of which might be that the spaces crowd is older. Right, that the, yeah. that yeah. Ta that tabs is something they've been teaching. Uh, they, they've really been laying on in college in the last few years, and so maybe the crop of up-and-coming programmers are, are tabs users. And in a few years, you'll see that they'll be the ones making the money. It's possible. There, you know, there's yeah. there's all kinds of things that could lie behind it. But if you just want to look at raw, you know, raw data, and if you want to say, what are my chances of making more money as a programmer? Hit the space bar, okay? That's that's all I have to say. Um, <laughs> it, it could be that it's a convention in certain uh, programming languages to use tabs versus another to use space. Right, and those but, and uh, those programmers make make better money. Yep, all kinds yeah, of stuff it, like it just, that going on. Yeah, it could yep. be something like that. It could be, but, but I, I find it funny. It's interesting. Okay. Very very interesting. So you know, stay stay tuned. We'll we'll come into. Which text editor makes you more money, too, if you're interested in those kinds of things? I think that's the, <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the next big frontier to solve. Okay, well, that's, that's my other geek. Um, what do you got for us this, this week, Stephen? Well, this week is uh, a week I've, I've been on vacation in Texas and just having a, a great time with the family. And I, I, awesome. I would just say that, uh, you know, any listeners that uh, you know, look, looking for some place to, to go, um, I, this part of the world that we've, uh, that we've, you know, toured, uh, basically the, this last week has been just a whole lot of fun. It's, it's basically the Texas Hill Country area. Mm -hmm. It's, uh, you know, starting, uh, you know, maybe in Austin and going south to San Antonio and that, that area of the world is just, it's just beautiful. It's just beautiful. We, um, you know, we, we try to, um, enjoy as many different, uh, um, world-famous barbecue places on these uh, types of uh, trips, <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, what you uh, want to do in Texas for sure. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, um, and, and so, we, I, you know, I get the list. Uh, the, okay, this year we've got to hit, uh, hit this one. This is, a, this is one that, uh, you know, made the list this year. It's an up-and-coming, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's on the list of the top 50 uh, barbecue places in, uh, in, in Texas now. It's an up-and-comer, so we need to check it out. We, we, we kind of... We're, we're kind of connoisseurs almost of that, and so we 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 hit uh, we hit a couple of places this year that've been that've been fun in uh, in, in Belton, uh, and then uh, also in New Brunsville. 
New Brunsville, of course, has the uh, what I consider the world's greatest water park, Schlitterbahn, and uh, we just had a great time there. We've, not our first time there, we, uh, but uh, we always have fun when we go. And um, it's a part of Texas that was uh, settled by uh, by Germans in the uh, 19th century, and it still mm-hmm. has a lot of that. Well, it still has a lot of that flavor. Uh, Interesting, you know, you know, cultural flavor, and uh, they, Oktoberfest is huge in this part of the world, and uh, and so you know, it's, it, come in the fall if you want to, or you know, or this time of year too. It's, it's just great. It's just a great place to visit, and uh, so I, I would recommend it to anybody who wants to wants to travel and see some, uh, see some beautiful sights. Texas Hill Country is is great. Well, very nice. Uh, it's, it sounds like a fantastic vacation. I'm just going to have to put you on the spot here, though, Stephen. Do you have a geek angle to this at all? That just sounds like a, Let's you know, see. Yeah, well, this could I, be a totally, you know, legit travel segment at this point. Where, you know, there is a, okay, we just. The water uh, park was promising. Let me tell you, you started down that water park okay. road, and I thought, okay. Okay, well, well, let me could, tell you, okay, let me tell you a geeky thing about the water park. Okay, first, go. It's the, uh, the world's first uphill water slide. Okay, see, now there you go. All right, now, okay. now you're talking. All right. How does the water how the slide do go uphill? uphill water, how do you do an uphill water slide? Well, for one thing, you're not just, you know, getting on the slide and sliding down your, just your body. You're, you're in what amounts to a, uh, almost looks like a life raft, you know, you and one other person. It's two two-person type raft thing. And uh, it's much like, it's very, you know, very much like a roller coaster. You go down a hill and I, and, and, at the bottom of the hill, you, when you hit the, the, the bottom of the hill, you, there's a water cannon that shoots you back up to the top of the next. Oh, wow. And, and, and so, you know, you're on a, what amounts to a water roller coaster uh, without wheels, right? It's just With no uh, tracks, you know, right? It's just no it's, tracks it's, at all. You're just, uh, it's a, uh, just in this thing. Oh, and it's, it's called the Master Blaster, that particular water roller coaster. So it's... Uh, that is is something worth doing and, and a lot of fun and uh, um, so uh, you know and then on Wednesday we did something that might be other geeky maybe in some ways uh, there's a place called uh, Fredericksburg in uh, the Hill Country that has outside of town is a place called the Enchanted Rock okay the weird thing about this rock Phil is it's just it's you know you're driving along through through this and you know see see all these small hills and everything and then as you top the hill, you look off in the distance and go, what, what the heck is that? This doesn't look like it belongs. It's a giant granite boulder that's the size of, I don't know, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, three or four square miles or something like that. And it's oh, just, wow. Mm-hmm. No, no, no trees are growing on it. It's just this big, you know, and it's forever. You know, the the, the Indians in this part of the world, uh, you know, considered it sacred and uh they had like a uh, a legend if you slept on top of this mountain you would dream of your 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 future spouse that kind of thing it was they, they, they considered it was part of part of the native american religion was you know it's almost a temple in their religion but it's it's really it's i you know it's just the oddity of it uh um you know, I guess there's sort of an other geek aspect of that. We uh, and, and of course we had to climb it. It's it's about yeah. a, a nice. It's it's a nice uh, uh, mile or so up to the top, and uh, and you know a steep climb, and so a lot of good exercise there. We had a good time as a family did. So I guess there's sounds great. It doesn't stop magnets or make time flow funny or 
do any weird gravity stuff or anything like that? You know, I didn't do any experiments, Phil. Let's oh, okay. Just, let's just pretend for a second it does. So none of that has been ruled out, is what you're saying. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Okay. You know, lack of evidence is not evidence of lack. So, you know, maybe, maybe <laughs> that's all That's right. Okay. <laughs> so Stephen has been deeply mired in the paranormal in his trip to Texas. That's my takeaway from your... Uh, but, <laughs> Exactly. exactly. <laughs> From your vacation report. Well, cool stuff. I'm glad uh, glad you guys are having a good time. It sounds like, uh, and uh, you know, enjoy your time there. And if you see any more marvels, uh, be sure to report on them next week because we're, we're always do. eager to hear, hear what's going on. All right. Well, hey, it's been a fun week. It's been great talking with you. It's been great having you all with us. We're going to be back next week with a couple, of, a couple or three brand new shows. Look forward to being with you all then. And until next time, live to see it.